Welcome back to Inspired by Interfaith Voices. I'm your host, Umbreen Khan. This week, something occurred in American religion that hasn't happened in almost 60 years. For only the second time, a sitting U.S. president who is Catholic met face-to-face with the Pope. I'm speaking, of course, of the 45-minute closed-door session between President Joseph R. Biden, the first Catholic president since John F. Kennedy, and Pope Francis at the Vatican on October 29th. Biden's a lifelong practicing Catholic, and he's found himself besieged by the culture wars within the Catholic Church. In June, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, the highest Catholic Church authority in the United States, announced the creation of a so-called teaching document. Its focus, politicians like Biden, who support abortion access and same-sex marriage. Both policy issues the bishops hold are in direct conflict with Catholic doctrine. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi is responding to recent calls from some church leaders to use caution regarding Holy Communion and pro-abortion lawmakers. I think I can use my own judgment on that. There's no denying that there is some sentiment for a document that would address the president and other politicians who support abortion. The U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops says that should exclude the president from receiving communion. President Biden claimed the Pope provided his blessing. Are you concerned about the rift in the Catholic Church, and how do you feel personally about that? That's a private matter, and I don't think that's going to happen. I agree with President Biden that it's a private matter and that it's unlikely to happen given the views of the Obviously not a private issue because we're talking about it right now. When he receives communion, he's saying amen. He says, I believe with the Catholic Church. But when he writes executive orders from his own desk, he says, I don't believe what the church teaches about the most fundamental teaching of the church, and that is respect for life at all stages. The document which the bishops are slated to approve later this month in Baltimore would deny the president the Eucharist, the central sacrament of the church. Catholic doctrine teaches that the Eucharist, a paper-thin communion wafer and a sip of red wine, literally become the body and blood of Christ. Denying a Catholic the Eucharist means to deny him or her the physical and spiritual communion with God. My guest today is Massimo Fagioli, a professor of theology and religious studies at Villanova University. Dr. Fagioli is an expert on American Catholicism and a church historian. He keeps his eyes on the many ways Catholicism plays out in the public square. As the author of Joe Biden and Catholicism in the United States, he had his eyes on the Vatican this week. As you're watching the events of this week, what stood out to you as two of the most powerful Catholics in the world met? What stood out was the immense gap that there is between the ways in which the world has looked at this meeting, two Catholic leaders engaged on some global issues like like climate change and fight against poverty, uh, COVID vaccines, but also some international flaps like like China. And so that was the perception in the rest of the world and the United States where the conversation has been overshadowed largely by the issue of the tension between the West bishops and Joe Biden 
on the issue of communion. Uh, can a pro-choice politician go to mass and institute communion? And so this is something that has never been an, an issue for Catholic and non-Catholic audiences outside of the United States because nothing like that ever happened. And in the United States, where there has been this focus, which is not new, it, it starts with John Kerry's campaign in 2004 when some bishops started. And so that has come back in a dramatic way because since the end of 2020, some Catholic bishops have tried to bar President Biden from receiving communion. And those bishops are still debating this document, which will be voted at the conference in Baltimore in the middle of November. So the most important thing is how differently Catholics in different parts of the world have looked at this. As you describe the mid-November meeting as context that's coming up where this resolution will be discussed, is that resolution one binding and does it have any historical precedent? The resolution uh, that the U.S. Bishop Conference will adopt will not be binding if it is about the permission or barring of uh, pro-choice politicians from receiving communion because in canon law of the Catholic Church and in tradition, it is up to the local bishop of this particular politician. So that will be, I think, a different kind of document which will be most probably on the Eucharist in general but we'll send some other signals, okay? So, but legally, there is no jurisdiction that this Bishop Conference has on that kind of issue. Now, historically, it must be said that this has never happened before. Most European countries approved laws legalizing abortion in the 1970s, 1980s, and in most of these countries, there were Catholics as prime ministers, as ministers of justice, of health, of, of interiors, and never, not one of them, were subject to the treatment the U.S. bishops uh, would like to impose on Joe Biden. But at the same time, there's never been in the tradition, not even in the teaching or directives of the previous popes, Anything that suggests that it is Catholic to exclude a politician that allows or legislate uh, legal abortion in his or her country. So this is something that is new. It is part of a drive of U.S. bishops in these last few decades, beginning with Roe v. Wade, and it has become accelerated in these last uh, few years because in 2019, U.S. bishops uh, who are looking forward to the election of 2020, they uh, adopted a document which said that for them, abortion is the preeminent issue, in quote. And so that has become a single issue Catholic teaching which is significantly different from what um, all popes and the Catholic Church generally teaches on what are the responsibilities of politicians and of Catholic politicians towards the, the common good. When you hear the expression weaponizing the wafer, what does that mean to you? 
well, it's one way to say they they want to exclude someone from communion. Yes, it's yeah. uh, allowing Joe Biden to receive communion again is not an endorsement to the abortion policies of the Democratic Party. It's to protect the Catholicity of the Catholic Church. Because if the Eucharist is used to make a statement on a single issue religious identity, it will make this church even more sectarian. And Catholicism is essentially the opposite of sectarianism. That's why the Vatican is doing this. They have no sympathy for Roe v. Wade and all that stuff. But they know that if they allow that to happen, Catholicism will end up like white evangelicalism in this country, which means a pariah in the eyes of global Christians. That cannot happen. What I heard you say, and I just want to clarify, is that in 2019, when the U.S. Catholic Conference of Bishops, when they when they passed this document that declared that there is one preeminent political issue, what does this tell you as a historian of the church about the state of Catholic authority in the world today? This is very important, and this is a story that is full of, of irony. What happens after Vatican II is this. There's a push to reshape the concept of Catholic hierarchy in a sense that is less vertical and more horizontal, which means uh, also more, more authority for uh, local bishops and national bishop conferences. That push came in the 1960s, 70s, especially from progressive theology on the assumption that uh, a more localized uh, Catholic hierarchy would be more sensitive or more open to progressive issues. What happens in the United States uh, is the opposite in these last few years. So this has been the struggle uh, of American Catholicism, especially since the election of Pope Francis in 2013, because Pope Francis has reversed the assumptions that the papacy used to be identified with a more conservative uh, look on social issues and and local bishops with more dialogical or more progressive views. Uh, what has happened in the United States is it's the opposite. And so what has happened is that in this country, liberal Catholics are looking forward very much to hear every day from Pope Francis, from the Vatican, uh, hoping to be saved from a National Bishop Conference. So if I'm hearing you correctly, Catholics who didn't embrace the conservative theological views of Popes John Paul II and Benedict are now embracing openly the progressive theology and points of view that Francis is supporting, while conservatives reject those theological views. That's not entirely surprising, I have to say, but I do associate conservatism with embracing the authority, the fundamental authority of the institution and the hierarchy. Are you intimating that something different is happening now? Yes, but there's also this. that So what is conservative in the Catholic Church is also a certain way of dissenting from authority. Describe what that means. What does that mean when you say that? 
it means that you should say, I, I don't agree with what this Pope is teaching, but is uh, still my Pope. Now, what has happened in these last few years is a shocking similarity between what the Catholic right started to say very early on the conclave that, that elected Pope Francis in 2013, meaning it was rigged, it was fixed, it was a conspiracy, and what the same Catholic right has said on the presidential election of 2020, that uh, it was stolen, that actually Donald Trump won. So it's not just a coincidence, it's a similarity of the idea that if you disagree with the authority, uh, it's not a problem of reconciling your conscience or your behavior with what the authority says. It's, I don't acknowledge the legitimacy of this authority. This is something that we have seen very evidently, very clearly, among the same conservative camp in the United States immediately after Pope Francis was elected. And so that is an import of a political conservatism, which is, is about expressing uh, anger and rage, and generally uh, what is, is called uh, grievance conservatism. What I hear you saying is that if you want to understand what's happening in American Catholicism, you need to also understand what's happening in American politics and how identity and the relationship that people have to leaders that they do not, not simply not like, but who they've gone one step further and chosen to view as illegitimate. In the political context, there's a lot of discussion about where this is going and real concerns about the potential breakdown of civil society. Talk to me about where the global uh, Catholic leadership is and where are the laity? Where are the followers? Catholicism now that it has become uh, a truly global church. This has created an identity crisis much more in North America than in Europe, which had given up on the idea of being associated culturally, politically with Christianity. Decades ago, Europe gave up uh, on that. America did not yet. And so this has created a situation in which the vast majority of Catholics favor of Pope Francis, but there is a small but strong uh, vocal, very well introduced and very connected uh, minority of Catholics that uh, since the very beginning have been saying that Pope Francis is not really Catholic, that the conclave that elected him was rigged, that is trying to destroy the Catholic Church, these are no longer small fringes. I mean, when multiple voices airing these sentiments have their articles published in the op-ed page of the New York Times, it means that it has become something bigger. And then there's the rest of the world where issues uh, are much more immediate because there are Catholics that are... Uh, under persecution, 
they are under threat for climate change. They live in uh, collapsing democracies where their human rights are denied and so on. Paradoxically, these furious reactions of ultra-conservative Catholics in this country have convinced the Vatican that the wisest thing to do is to a large extent to stop listening to them. And it has been interesting to see uh, how in these last few months the Vatican has dealt with this. They have protected Joe Biden's access to the Eucharist not to endorse the abortion policies of his administration, but to protect Catholicism from the ideological fury or, or from the zealots that are always bad news for real religion. That is what the, the picture of these last 10 months uh, tells me, I think. Mm. been listening to Dr. Massimo Fagioli describe the tension between the U.S. Catholic bishops and the White House, where we have our first Catholic president since John F. Kennedy. In fact, American Catholics have hit a high watermark in American public life. Catholics now make up 29% of Congress, more than any other single faith tradition. And Catholics occupy five of the nine seats on the United States Supreme Court, That's an all-time high. But as Dr. Fagioli, a historian of American Catholicism, is quick to note, American Catholics are far from monolithic, and they can be found on both sides of every hot-button culture war question. Nowhere was that more apparent than at this week's Supreme Court hearing on Texas's new and restrictive abortion law, SB 8. Several of the court's Catholic justices have signaled an openness to overturning the 1973 decision that legalized the ability of women to obtain medical services to terminate a pregnancy. But Justice Kavanaugh, who is Catholic, seemed doubtful of the Texas law's constitutionality. It could be free speech rights, it could be free exercise of religion rights, it could be Second Amendment rights. If this position is accepted here, the theory of the amicus brief is that it can be easily replicated in other states that disfavor uh, other constitutional rights. Meanwhile, outside the court, demonstrators from Catholics for Choice and the National Right to Life Committee, which has Catholic faith-based roots, faced off. Abortion is health care! Health care is a right! We've been Dr. Fajoli, who is a scholar of American Catholicism, says much hangs in the balance in the struggle between the conservative and progressive branches of the faith. There has been this less few decades, uh, an incredible rise of Catholics uh, in Congress, in the executive, in the military, in the intelligence community, and in the courts, especially in the courts. The the conservative legal movement uh, has been successful because they have shown an institutional 
intelligence and and strategy that and I say that in in my book uh, on the liberal the progressive side there has not been there's been a naivete that and society will rule everything well I don't agree I mean institutions still maintain a lot of power and that uh, is eminently visible uh, in the courts and in the Supreme Court. The generation of the conservative wing within today's Catholic Church, it's an older, aging generation. What do you see happening among younger adherents? Is there a rise of a young Catholic right that is following in the footsteps of these American conservative voices who are questioning the credibility and the authority of the papacy? In the years after Vatican II, the assumption was that having a church that is run more by lay people and less uh, like clergy meant automatically a more progressive church. That's not true because Justice Amy Coney Barrett is a layperson. Uh, Justice Kavanaugh is a lay Catholic. And so that doesn't mean anything in terms of their views on the church. So what is happening is this, that at large in, in the Catholic population, the conservative uh, wing is still a minority, but they are the ones who are more likely to join uh, the priesthood, to um, live a life of militancy and of commitment to the church. That is what we have seen in these last few years. Yeah, what I'm hearing you also say, in kind of intertwined with that, is that lay leaders who identify as Catholic, who are conservative, are not seeking to influence through the church per se, but rather through the state. And as you point out, the Supreme Court, but also elected leaders across the ballot, from local school board members all the way up to elected leaders in in our U.S. Senate. I'm also hearing you say Vatican II not being the emphasis means that this divide between the personal and the private, the devotional focus, may attract and reinforce that personal focus uh, among a new generation of leaders within the tradition who have historically played a role in supporting the network of social service agencies that are affiliated with the church. Yes. uh, If you start saying or teaching to your young followers that Vatican II has been actually a tragedy because it led to to secularism and so on, well, much of what the church does in terms um, of collaboration with other secular authorities uh, for the common good uh, looks no longer legitimate. Mm. This is something, the same uh, care for the environment or creation uh, it largely makes little sense. Now, in some circles that are very active, Vatican II is no longer just ignored, it is bashed and, uh, and, and indicated as the culprit, the problem of the Catholic Church that we need to solve by simply uh, abrogating those teachings, beginning with, for example, the liturgical 
reform. Hmm. Let's go to the Latin mass, the pre-Vatican II mass. This will have or would have enormous consequences on what the, the church does in the public square. Mm-hmm. You know, at the same time that you're describing this movement, I think of Justice uh, Amy Coney Barrett. I'm thinking of Speaker Nancy Pelosi, one of the most powerful persons in the country. A week and a half ago, she participated along with many other Catholic members of Congress in a prayer vigil to support President Joe Biden's Build Back Better infrastructure deal, invoking over and over again, not secular ideals, but Christian scripture, her own citing her own Catholic faith. Where do they fit in? So you're right. There are Catholics uh, on the left politically that are not shy about connecting their political views with their faith. The problem is this. In liberal, progressive, uh, Catholic uh, thinking, the horizon of doing something that is political but is also for the church has become totally marginal. So here there are very little consequences or very uh, few ripple effects of what uh, Speaker Pelosi or AOC do on the posture of the Catholic Church. So here, what the the right has been able and is able to do much better, in my opinion, is that they are ruthlessly engaged on social political issues, but they have maintained some kind of links uh, with the ecclesiastical institutions that allows them to have a continuing impact on what the institutional church is, what it does, and what will do. This is an asymmetry that is visible in many other contexts, but in this country especially. You're saying that individuals who are public elected leaders, like the president, like Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, that they are talking about, they do invoke their Catholic faith, but they do it in a very personal way. They are publicly talking about it as animating why their values are rooted where they are, but they are not at the same time connected to and influencing organizations that are part of the church. And if they are, they're doing it privately and quietly. As we all know, there is a constitutional separation between church and state. Yes, but there has never been a separation between religion and politics. Both sides, they have chosen issues on, on which they separate. For liberals, it's abortion. For, for conservatives, it's immigration, for example. But here, liberals uh, have failed, in my opinion, to understand that there has to be at least the effort of investing on the institutional church. If you look at what kind of extremely wealthy Catholics are investing in education, in colleges, universities, think tanks, it's very clear that there is an, an asymmetry. 
that on the right, there has been much more investment than on the left. Mm. And so um, Joe Biden, as a Catholic, really is not as representative of the future of the, of the church um, as uh, Justice Amy Coney Barrett could be. When you say the future of the church, you're talking, I want to be clear, you're talking about representing the leadership, not necessarily the followers. Or are you saying that that's going to be the new wave of adherence to the Catholic Church? So there's no question that the following or the membership of the church is changing. Many more Latino Catholics who are not conservative culturally and so on. But here we should be very clear on what we mean by leadership. So if we think of leadership only in terms of the bishops and the clergy, this is a very narrow understanding of leadership. So here leadership means, for example, um, the economic and financial elites, the political elites, the intellectual elites. In a church that is becoming smaller, those elites are not giving up. They are consolidating their power and they still have and will have a voice for a long time. So I'm not wishing that. I'm not happy about that. I'm just saying that we should be pragmatic because a certain emphasis on society could really give us... Uh, an illusion that demography is destiny. Well, I'm not sure that's true. I mean, uh, here we all know that financial and political elites can distort wildly, and they are distorting wildly. For example, the right to vote. You may be a population of uh, millions, but it just takes a handful of well-organized strategists uh, and donors and, and politicians to make millions invisible. This is something that could have happened or has happened to some extent already in the Catholic Church. So here elites are not just those who say mass. That is just the least influential of all possible elites in, in the Catholic Church, in my opinion, honestly. Dr. Massimo Fagioli is a professor of theology and religious studies at Villanova University. His latest book, Joe Biden and Catholicism in the United States, was published at the beginning of the year, near the inauguration of President Biden. That's all for this week's episode. Our show today was produced by Kevin McCarthy and Kimberly Winston. Special thanks to MC Yogi for the music, for our theme, and a big shout out to our founder, Sister Maureen Fiedler. Folks, if you want to take another listen or find links to the books or conversation that we had today, head over to interfaithradio.org. That's our website where you can learn more about us, subscribe to the newsletter, and subscribe to the podcast. You'll get it as soon as it drops in the pod feed. While you're there, can I ask you a favor? Will you leave us a review and a rating? 
That helps others find us. I'm your executive producer and host, Umbreen Khan. I hope to see you next week. Friends, wherever you are, I hope you are safe. I hope you are well, and I hope you stay connected. I'll see you next week.